We uh, transport 80% of the traffic over the internet. We uh, process 625 billion URL requests a day. We are the plumbers of the internet. We are the people who connect things and we believe we connect things more efficiently, effectively and sustainably than anybody else. We have been innovating for nearly 20 years around power efficiency in our product portfolio. So we're very focused with all of our customers in terms of showing them how they can reduce significantly the power consumption. Um, and you know we've got instances where the saving on power and cooling can pay for an infrastructure refresh in the data centre over a five-year period. I focus on the things that I believe are my strengths and the things where I can deliver most positive impact. If I believe I can do that, and if I believe I'm doing that, I go home happy. This is Seonet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Gordon Thompson, who is the Vice President for the EMEA Service Provider Business at Cisco. A very warm welcome, Gordon. Hendrik, pleasure to be with you. Pleasure. Gordon, you're a born Scotsman. I am. You're a university dropout. I am. And you wanted to become a professional golfer. I did. Uh, but you have been with Cisco since 1997. So yes. tell us all about that. What's the story? And how did you arrive in this position today? Well, I always believed to follow your passion. Mm -hmm. And my passion from an early, early age was golf. Mm -hmm. Well, it was all sport, but I recognized that the sport I was best at, the one I had the best chance at was was golf. Okay. So I followed that passion. I mm -hmm. followed that passion religiously. I practiced every day. I wanted to become the best, you know, and I had some good success when I was younger. Uh, decided at that point I was going to go to university. Uh, decided I wanted to study history. That was a mistake, <laughs> candidly. Um, uh, while also uh, spending and investing a lot of time in golf. Um, once I got to 19, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a real go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided against all advice to drop out of university and to try and become a professional golfer. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately for me, um, after about six months, I, I developed something called the yips mm -hmm. in golf, which is really on the putting green where all the money is made. <laughs> uh, your inability to actually put the ball in the hole, the muscle memory was stropping you being able to really put the ball in the hole. And, and very few professional golfers have mm -hmm. made it to the top level uh, with the yips. Yep. You know, the only one that people in Europe would really recognise in terms of a mainstream name was Bernard Langer mm -hmm. from Germany. And uh, my psyche was, do you know what, if I am not going to really stand a chance of being the best, um, I probably wasn't going to be as committed to it as I wanted to be. Yep. Uh, and made the very difficult decision that, Actually, corporate life or some form of business life was where I was going to succeed and be successful. Yep. And uh, although golf is still a big passion of mine, and I still have the yips today, <laughs> you know, uh, nearly 40 years later, um, I still love golf. Mm -hmm. um, but my passion and my life focuses around, you know, how, how I can help people understand and to use technology to their benefit. Yeah. So you work now more than 25 years at Cisco. I do. Cisco is 40 years old as a company. Mm -hmm. So um, we all know Cisco as a name, but tell us again, what is it that Cisco does and what does it really, really well? 
Yeah, so Cisco was really formed through the the, uh, the innovation around routing or routing technology. And mm -hmm. this was really the ability to be able to connect two different networks together. Mm -hmm. It came out of Stanford University, husband and wife team, who wanted to communicate across the campus, but they couldn't find a way to electronically communicate across the campus. And they developed the router, or if we were in, if we were in the US today, we would call it the router. Um, and they developed this product. Um, they went to get funding for this product uh, from Stanford University. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the same semester, the university had already put out funding to uh, Stanford University Network, a, a small team who had developed something called Stanford University Network, mm -hmm. which spun into be Sun Microsystems. Okay. Uh, so in the very same semester, two companies came out of, uh, came out of uh, Stanford University, Sun Microsystems and what became Cisco. Mm -hmm. um, so Cisco um, was, uh, came, came about in 1986, first developed in 84. They IPO'd in 1990. Mm -hmm. And between 1990 and 2001, became the fastest growing company in American stock market history. Mm -hmm. So obviously a lot of happy investors all over <laughs> the world in terms of the growth of the company. And, and fundamentally, the company's you know, reasons for existing today are very similar to the reasons for existing in the past. Mm -hmm. We are the plumbers of the internet. We mm -hmm. are the people who connect things. And we believe we connect things more effect efficiently, effectively, and sustainably than anybody else. And our cause is to make sure we connect the world. Mm -hmm. If we can connect the world, we can create an inclusive future for the world. And you know, our purpose today is about creating that inclusive future through connectivity. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit from the business point of view first, mm -hmm. um, uh, Gordon, and that is. We live in special times, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's economic pressure, there's uh, financial pressure, there's political instability and so on. So our organizations are really going through quite some challenges, right? So, um, and that means that companies really need to re-architect the way that they operate. Mm -hmm. They need to rethink uh, how they operate. So what I want to discuss uh, today with you is how do we make sure uh, that Cisco is a future-proof organization. How, how is uh, Cisco managing that? And how are you helping your clients to be uh, future-proof? And, and so let's, uh, let's maybe look at different angles from that. So maybe f from the top, what are you for you the main business challenges that organizations are faced with today? Okay. So as you say, we're going through challenging times across the board in every industry sector. Mm -hmm. And the IT organization that we predominantly sell to mm -hmm. has many different challenges that they need to deal with. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first challenge is really around simplification. Okay. okay. How can we simplify the way that we operate our networks today? If we can simplify, hopefully we reduce the operating costs to mm -hmm. be able to operate those networks. Yeah. So the first thing that's at the heart of their thinking is how can we simplify? Now, they do that through automation, mm -hmm. and, and you know, an automation is a big investment area for companies like Cisco, driven by software, that uh, helps us drive that simplification for our customers. The second thing customers, IT departments are looking at is how do we secure mm -hmm. the environment for our customers? Yeah. Okay? The reality is, in most instances now, the bad guys will get in. It's about what you do 
when the bad guys get in. It's mm -hmm. about how you mitigate against that when the bad guys get in. It's about how you can, you know, really preserve your environment if the bad guys get in. And so there's a lot going on in the security space. Yep. Software driven predominantly again to help assess threat, understand network behavior, to try and predict uh, problems before they occur. The third area, especially in Europe, that customers are focused on is energy costs. Mm -hmm. IT produces a lot of energy yep. and uh, our customers are very focused on reducing the energy costs and making their network environments, their data centers much more efficient. Mm -hmm. So a third area that customers will focus on is how can we drive down the power consumption yep. in our network environments. The fourth thing they're focused on is for those people who are using our IT equipment, okay, so maybe our employees or our customers, how can we improve the user experience for them? Mm -hmm. Okay, how do we make that user experience better? How do we make it easier for them to consume our technology? No. How do we make our networks more secure, but at the same time make it easy for people to gain access to the network? No. You know, so all of these things around user experience become a big thing. And then the final thing they're really thinking about is, you know, I want my environments to be open. I want my environments to be standards based in terms of the way that they operate. Mm -hmm. um, I want to think about how I can use technologies like AI and ML, mm -hmm. um, you know, to provide me with better insight in terms of how we move forward. So there's a lot of innovation, positive innovation going on around open, standards-based, you know, AI and ML in terms of the impact they have in businesses. So those are the kind of key conversations okay. that we're having with CIOs today around the network. Okay, super. So five main challenges that mm. you see that, that CIOs are, are faced with today. So let's unpack each one of these. Okay. So the first thing that you say is we need, there's complexity out there, we need to simplify things, we need to automate things. How does Cisco help uh, its customers, its service providers, but globally all its customers to really automate things? Okay, so um, we do that by building what we call a platform-based approach, mm -hmm. okay? If you look today at the vast majority of the software products that are built out there in the market space, you know, software products are built for a specific requirement. Very niche in most instances. Mm -hmm. um, easy to take to market because it's a low cost of entry. But we run into the challenge of these niche, niche low cost of entry products ultimately having limited visibility. Okay. If you have limited visibility, you know, you have limited awareness of what's going on. And although they can operate very well in their silo, mm -hmm. the reality of the situation is your operational cost for having multiple products that with limited visibility, you have complexity creep, you have operational cost creep. Mm -hmm. So what we're beginning to build towards now is the ability to, first of all, um, integrate these products together a visibility layer, mm -hmm. so to be able to have observability across all of these products and see what's happening. And when you start to layer things like AI and ML on top of that, you can start to deliver some nice you know, insights back to the business in mm -hmm. terms of risk or performance and things yep. like that. So, so that's, that's really the first element of how we're approaching this. We're approaching this from a platform basis in terms of integrating the observability. Thereafter, you look at the integration of the management, you know, so, Ultimately, you don't want loads of different, inter, you know, management interfaces. Um, the good thing is, if you have a full, if you have a full observability stack, 
at least you can tell the network operators, you know, do this to mitigate this risk or do this to improve this performance. Yeah. And, and if you have to do it in different management tools, that's okay. Ultimately, you want to move to one management tool if possible. Mm -hmm. That's a bit harder, but the observability is easier to provide end-to-end -end observability up and down your stack and horizontally across your environment mm -hmm. is the critical thing that will help our customers reduce their operational complexity today in their environment. So we're very focused on talking to our customers about how they build uh, platforms for observability in terms of how they can monitor network performance, network security, application performance, application security, these sorts of things. Okay, now you mentioned uh, your, your customers, was BT. Mm -hmm. We're here in the yes. BT offices, mm -hmm. is, is, is one of your partners. How does that collaboration between Cisco and, for instance, BT, how does that work? Can you, and, and, and then around, for instance, automation and simplification, can you give an example of that? Yeah, so, um, so if you think about the way that we would work with a service provider, you have to think about it in two layers, uh -huh. okay? Uh, one is the underlay network, okay? So this is the, the, you know, the transport layer that you build to support all of the services that BT sell to their mm -hmm. customers today. And the second network is what we call the overlay network, which is the vast array of services, network services that BT would sell to their end user customer. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, uh, ideally what you want to be able to do is tie the observability from the overlay network together with the underlay network. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got that full observability through both networks, you can start to offer enhanced SLAs to customers, enhanced service level agreements to customers without having to make your core network too big. Mm -hmm. Okay. So ultimately what we're trying to do with the likes of BT and other service providers is rationalize their core network infrastructure while still allowing them to provide the optimum service to the end user customer through the overlay network. Yeah. So building a platform-based approach around observability and management it's critical to that. Mm -hmm. Another element of that we'll talk a bit later is, is about the energy efficiency that you can drive as you start to drive a more efficient core network yep. as well. Um, but that's maybe a topic for another okay. discussion. Good. Let's drill down a little bit on the second point, and that is security. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I look at, uh, if, if we talk to CIOs, the investments that they're doing in, in, in their CISOs, teams, and their security, is exploding. It keeps growing and growing and growing, uh, and 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 there's um, th this is huge. So how do you see the role of Cisco helping its clients in making sure that their infrastructure and communication is really really secure? I see it in the basis of saying if it's connected, mm -hmm. it needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, you know Cisco has you know we're, we we. We uh, transport 80% of the traffic over the internet. We uh, process 625 billion URL requests a day. <laughs> okay. um, when you do that, you have extensive visibility in terms of network behavior mm -hmm. and what's going on. And the reality of the situation is with that level of awareness and data, you have to be able to turn it into something meaningful to help our customers predict bad network behavior, mm -hmm. possible threat, and the potential impact of that. So through data alone, I believe that Cisco's best place to help our customers mitigate risk. Now, 
There is loads of small software niche vendors. The security market is the most fragmented Absolutely. market in the world. And it's the market where everybody says, I need to buy best of breed product in every single area. But it comes back to my earlier point. If you buy best of breed product in 15, 20 or 50 different areas of your network environment, mm -hmm. they don't have the ability to share observability. Therefore, they can see something that looks normal, but potentially something has happened earlier on in the transport of that packet that would suggest it isn't normal. Mm -hmm. And therefore, people have been buying security solutions for best of breed simplicity, easy to manage. But have we really improved security efficacy? Have we really reduced the number of threats that are hitting our businesses every day? Mm -hmm. No. Um, you know, I, I believe that security is moving to a world where we now need to think much more about the efficacy of our security environment, not just how easy it is to manage. Mm -hmm. And um, this is where the power of data will help. And this is where I believe Cisco's really well placed with the amount of data we're collecting yep. on a minute by minute, second by second basis mm -hmm. to help our customers understand security. Now, we have to package that up in a way that it's easy for our customers to consume. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will criticize us that we're a wee bit too complex in this space, and I'll take that criticism on board. Um, but we are, we're starting to package our products up in a way that it's much easier for our customers to consume in three key categories. The category that says, how do we protect the user? Mm -hmm. How do we protect the network and the application? And thirdly, how do we uh, investigate the threat? Okay, and so we're beginning to package our security products up into three software suites that make it easier for our customers to consume in the longer term. So, yeah, absolutely, I believe I can talk to any CISO or CIO about how Cisco can help them protect the connected far better and more effectively than they okay. do today. Now, going to a very, very important topic, which is now on board level in all big organizations, mid-sized, small organizations as well, is, of course, sustainability. Mm. And, and, and we all know that, what is it today? All the IT infrastructure already consumes one to 2% of global electricity and, yeah. and, and, and energy. And if we don't manage it, it will grow to three, 4% automatically, especially with cloud and the enormous exploding levels of, of, of data and uh, AI and so on is not gonna help on that. So how do you look at that? And how uh, do you see Cisco's role in making sure that our infrastructure is uh, stays uh, manageable and sustainable? Okay, so I see this in two ways. Mm -hmm. The first way, as you quite rightly said, IT consumes between one to 2% of the power consumption globally. And therefore, IT has to do a better job of making our products more efficient. Yep. We need to create circular supply chains, which mm -hmm. is exactly what Cisco has been doing in the market space. And we have been innovating for nearly 20 years around power efficiency mm -hmm. in our product portfolio. So today I can build a product that I built six years ago and I can make it 26 times more power efficient than I did six years ago. I can make it 36 times smaller than I did six mm -hmm. years ago. Um, and I can also give a commitment to uh, using non-virgin materials in ways that I couldn't commit to six years ago as yep. well. So we're very focused with all of our customers in terms of showing them how they can reduce significantly the power consumption, predominantly in the data center, mm -hmm. okay, because that consumes a lot of power. 
Um, and you know, we've got instances where the saving on power and cooling can pay for an infrastructure refresh in the data center over a five-year period. So you can save as much by moving from older legacy-based technologies to newer compute and switching technologies, mm -hmm. purely based on power savings alone. That's how much innovation has moved on in the last five or six years. However, it's one to 2%, it's the footprint. What I love to say to CIOs is, you can also be the handprint on the business mm -hmm. and how the business can save energy. Yep. I'll give you one example. Corporate buildings, we're in one today, they consume 15% of the world's energy. If you can do something to make corporate buildings more power efficient, mm -hmm. then you're onto something. So Cisco's been going through a process uh, where we say to our employees, we're never going to mandate you to come back to the office, but we're going to create a magnet. The office is going to be a magnet so you come back to the office. And at the heart of that is making our buildings, refreshing all of our buildings, okay? Um, you know, making them much more collaborative spaces for people to want to come back mm -hmm. to work from. But at the same time, we're re-engineering the way that we distribute power around that building. We use a technology called power over ethernet. Mm -hmm. So the ethernet cable, the thing that many people thought was going to die out when <laughs> Wi-Fi came along, is actually now distributing power around the building. Now we've um, refreshed a number of buildings in Cisco's estate, New York, Atlanta, Chicago. We've just opened Paris, Singapore. The interesting statistic in all of those offices is the footfall is back to pre-pandemic levels. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're getting the same people through the door the power consumption on average in those buildings is down 37%. Oh, yeah. So you imagine any CIO going to the CEO and saying, we can, in the new building we're building, we've got a, an ability to use technology to get the footfall back to pre-pandemic levels, mm -hmm. and we can use technology to reduce the power consumption of the building by 35%. Tell me a CEO that's not going to say, show me how. Yeah, they're all going to be very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit, your teams, I mean, you're having an EMEA responsibility, yes. right? They're a little bit spread all over Europe? Yeah, so I've got teams uh, spread across the whole of Europe, Middle East and Africa. Okay. Um, supporting all of the service provider customers across those regions. Okay, and have you seen a change in, I mean, we all have seen, but what was the change in your team before and after COVID and in how people work? What's the main change for you? Okay, so... Um, I would say, uh, so first and foremost, obviously, um, we're offering much more flexibility. We've always been flexible in terms of the way we work, but mm -hmm. you know that's, that's happening with our customer base as well. So we're having to engage with our customers in a different way than we did pre-pandemic yeah. level. Uh, but we're also going through a large business transformation. Um, we're going through a business transformation where you know, we're driving much more of our portfolio from hardware to software. We're driving our portfolio, our, our engagement with our customer much more from a one-off sell-to experience to a life cycle experience where we engage with the customer around Sorry. outcomes. Yep. Um, and so that means that business, that business operational change means a change for our sellers as well. Yep. So I've mentioned we have to change the way that we physically engage with the customer in terms of you know, how we do that, a lot more virtual than we did in the past but actually our sales approach is different now as well. So we're much more focused on the life cycle with the customer than we were 
pre-pandemic okay. levels. Super. So, um, so yeah, big movement there in terms. I will, of I will come back to that okay. shift that you're making in, in, in the way that you operate. The uh, fourth thing that you mentioned yep. was uh, the user experience. Yes. So tell me more about that. How do I need to visualize that? Okay. So yeah. So either you as a customer or uh, you as an employee, we have to make the way that you interact with technology more intuitive. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for example, you have an iPad there. Okay, you want to connect to the network. If you connect to the network on this floor, you'll authenticate. If you go up one floor, do you really need to authenticate again? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, the chances are if you've moved one floor in the corporate building, it's you. So, you know, there's no need to re-authenticate again. However, if you go down the road to Starbucks or a coffee shop and you open up your iPad and you want to connect to the corporate network, you probably have to authenticate again mm -hmm. as we go through. So we're trying to make sure we do things like improve security while reduce the friction for you to engage. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everything we're looking at um, is about how we can reduce the friction of engagement while improving the experience and protecting the security. And now that can be uh, for customers using contact centers or using web chat or all of these sorts of things. AI and, AI and ML is going to make that much more intuitive as we engage. Yep. We're thinking about, for example, 5G uh, offload as you go from a, uh, from a 5G network into, a, into an office environment onto the Wi-Fi network. Do you need to authenticate to go on or that? Or can we do some secure offload handover, between yeah. handover between the network so user experience is critical critical for our ability to make sure we digitize the way that we operate yep. uh, both with our customers and our employees so yeah big one and that's for the end user do you have the same thing i mean uh, user experience and, and making things simple for the for the admins let's say of course yep. of course um you know sometimes we like to talk about how we want to simplify um I prefer to say I prefer to uh, make it more effortless in terms mm -hmm. of how you can operate. Um, I still like there to be complexity in the technology <laughs> and, and innovation in the technology at that level. Um, but ultimately, what we're trying to do is simplify. Yep. Okay, Make it more effortless for you to, as an admin to be able to operate the network. We're trying to, through AI, AI and ML, push you know, insights to the admin to say, actually, we see a behavior over here that we don't like. Maybe you yep. should shut down that user or shut down that server or do something over there. So AI and ML is going to help the admin much more over time. Um, but at the same time, consolidating network management platforms into broader platforms mm -hmm. will drive more consistency in terms of the way you operate and help reduce cost as well to make it easier yep. for them. So yeah, a lot going on both in the end user space and in the network admin and management space okay. to drive. Uh... Fifth topic is mm. innovation. And you already, uh, we talked about ML and, and AI. Mm. I mean, it's changing the world, yeah. right? The, the way that, uh, that, that we work, how, the way that everybody works. So where do you see the, 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 the quick wins today that, that uh, you're building in your products? And where do you see this in, in a bit the midterm, longer term? Will we get to completely self-managed networks? Uh, do we still need network admins in the future? Where do you see this going? I think we, we will still need network <laughs> admins. I think there's still a, an important element around human intuition that mm -hmm. will always be required. Um, however, um, so, so Cisco's approach to innovation has changed a lot over the last five years. Mm -hmm. 
You know, for 30 odd years, our approach was really around feature development. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we would build a product, a strategic product, and we would then look to capture as many features and capabilities in that product as, as possible. Hey, look at our product. It's got all of these features in it. It's the best in the market and we should charge more for it. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the approach of the industry. Yeah. It's still the approach of many of our competitors in the market space. But interestingly, when you create all of these features in a product, you then go back to look at how many of those features are being turned on. Right? Somewhere between 17 to 25%. Oh, yeah. right. So, first of all, there's a cost to innovation that is not sustainable if all of the features are not being used that you need to think about as part of our ESG strategy. And secondly, features don't deliver outcomes for customers. You mm -hmm. need to think differently about how you innovate. So we move from a, a traditional feature-based development model to what we call a modern or purposeful innovation model. Mm -hmm. And that purposeful innovation model was to say to all of our business units, we want you to innovate around these key themes. Okay, one theme was around sustainability and power efficiency. One theme was around embedding more security if it's connected, it's protected. One theme was about creating open, standard, uh, standardizing and open APIs across our product portfolio so it was easier to integrate third-party product into it. So these sorts of broader purposeful innovation themes have now become the intent for Cisco around innovation. So I'm quite happy to talk to customers at times to say, well, I don't have that feature, but do you really need that feature? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to kill your business if you don't have that feature. It's more important for you to have a product that is more power efficient, that is more secure, that is easier to operate yep. than you having one bespoke feature in your network. And, you know, in today's modern world, the vast, vast majority of our customers buy into that approach because they've got ESG targets as well. Mm -hmm. and they've got other corporate responsibility targets. There's other things that are important to them beyond a feature. And so our innovation has moved way beyond feature development as an organization. Yeah. So you've gone through this very important change from product feature uh, organization to uh, an outcomes and, and a platform driven uh, organization. So how do you do that? I mean. How, big corporate like Cisco, how do you make internally that change so that, I mean, does that come from the top? Does it mm. come bottom up? What is the process that you have gone through as an organization? Well, it's difficult, first of all. I can right. imagine. It's difficult, but it's totally top-down driven. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you look at, we're in a, a, a California headquartered organization, mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, nearly 50% of our business comes out of the US, um, but you know, if you look around the world, um, we've got 16 countries where Cisco has voted the best company to work in mm -hmm. from any other company. And so what that shows you culturally is we do a, a really great job of being able to take a culture, a methodology, an approach, a purpose, and we manage to embed that throughout our organization. Now it's driven top down it's constantly communicated and over-communicated. Uh, everybody in the organization is engaged in terms of understanding that strategy. People are compensated around that strategy because mm -hmm. compensation drives behavior at yep. the end of the day, both in engineering and in sales. You know, so uh, there is no doubt this journey has been difficult. We've been signaling this journey, you know, not for one, two or three years. We've been signaling this journey to the market for many, many years. Mm -hmm. 
And it's really only in the last year, year and a bit, where we're beginning to see the fruits of our labor in terms of the speed of our innovation, you know, in terms of our ability to differ, deliver differentiated capability in the marketplace, yep. in terms of the way our sales organization operate and our people feel part of the purpose as we move forward. There is no doubt you go through phases where people become slightly disengaged as you go through a difficult journey. But we've worked through that extremely well as an organization and we're beginning to accelerate now based on our purpose. Okay, super. Now, Gordon, let's talk a little bit more about you uh, and, and your role that you have in the, in the organization. Yep. So you're VP EMEA for the, uh, for the service provider business. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little bit to me. How is, and, and how is your team organized? What is it that you do? And, and where do you yourself spend most of your time? Okay, so, the, so I have about 450 people in my team in EMEA. Mm -hmm. um, and our day-to-day -day job is to support our service provider customers in EMEA, build, support, and operate their core infrastructures. Mm -hmm. So those infrastructures that support all of the services that they then go and sell, uh, to their end user customers, our job is to make sure those networks are reliable, perform well, sustainable, operate efficiently, etc. And our job is to make sure they operate well, but our job is also to guide our customers in terms of um, you know, what they should be thinking about, how they should be transforming in the future, how they can think differently about the way they operate those infrastructures. Yep. So um, my job, in terms of how I spend my time, I spend a considerable amount of time with the customer. Mm -hmm. listening, understanding, what are their challenges, what are they trying to do. We then spend quite a lot of time advising in terms of potentially routes and opportunities for mutual success. And then I do spend a lot of time internally with my people. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think it's important I spend a lot of one-to-one -one time with my direct leaders in terms of making sure um, that they are motivated to believe in the direction that we're going in. And I think it's also important that I spend a lot of step, step time, people who don't report directly to me but are in my organization, mm -hmm. hearing from the top what's expected of them, yep. how they should operate, how they should behave, uh, you know, what our vision is, why they should be excited for yep. the future. So uh, I probably spend um, probably 60% of my time on internal activities mm -hmm. and about 40% of my time on external activities. Okay, on that internal time where you manage your direct reports and, and the mm -hmm. whole team, how would you describe your management style? And could you give maybe an example of that? Um, yeah, so I would say there's a couple of things. So I, you know, um, I, I, first of all, um, the key thing for me is to be as transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. My people who report to me need to understand why we're making the decisions we are making. I feel as if, if I can't explain to them in full transparency why we're making these decisions, it's very hard for, for me to create followership with them. Mm -hmm. They need to feel invested in yep. the decision-making process. So the first thing I would say is where possible, it's not always totally possible, but where possible I try to be transparent around why and how we're making decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ideally, they're inclusive decisions, okay? So I involve them in terms of those decisions-making processes. If there's yep. top-down decisions that we need to, you know, why and in include them in them. So first and foremost, I would say my style is very inclusive and transparent in terms of how, how I approach them. The second thing I'm saying to them is I expect everyone to have an impact, right? You know, you're employed 
to move the company from point A to point B. You need to have an impact. You need to believe you're having an impact. You need to be able to show that you're having an impact as well. So people will say that in a nice way that I also hold them accountable. Mm. You know, I expect people to make progress and expect people to have an impact and they ex I expect them to show me the progress and the impact that they're having. The third thing I would say is they'll also see an element of vulnerability from me as well. Okay, I think um, all of us have vulnerability in us in our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. and um, for me to be the authentic leader I want to be, you know, um, I'm prepared to say at times that I don't understand that or I'm not good at that or I have a challenge with that mm -hmm. um, or I'm disappointed at that. Um, you know, so they'll also see an element of vulnerability from me. Uh, ultimately, I'm trying to be as authentic as possible to create the best level of followership as I possibly can. And if I would go to your teams around around the MIA yeah. and talk to them and oh. say, well, what do you think they will say <laughs> about you when you're not around? Um, I would say you can trust them. Mm -hmm. um, he'll listen. Uh, he'll not make a rash judgment. Um, I would hope they would say I motivate um, and I occasionally inspire. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they'd also say he expects a lot from them mm -hmm. because I do. Yeah. So, um, Gordon, you come across as something, somebody who's very, uh, has a very authentic style of leadership, who's very transparent, like you say, but also, of course, very results driven. Uh, because that's what counts in, uh, at the end of the day. So what is it that really makes you happy? What is it that drives you in your work when at the end of the month or at the end of the week you go home, uh, fly home and, 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 uh, and feel really, really good? So I think uh, the one thing I learned uh, over the last few years is, you know, if you can play to your strengths, mm -hmm. if you know what you're good at and you can play to those strengths, You'll be happy, you'll enjoy what you do, and you'll probably have a better impact. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many, many years ago, I was very focused on what I'm not good at and what I need to improve. And, you know, we may talk about some of those things later on. <laughs> Let's but, hope so. <laughs> uh, but the reality is I don't focus on them. Mm -hmm. Okay, I focus on the things that I believe are my strengths. Okay. And the things where I can deliver most positive impact. And if I believe I can do that, and if I believe I'm doing that, I go home happy. Okay. I go home happy. So let's talk about your strengths. You, you shared with us your Clifton Strengths profile, oh, yes. uh -huh. your personality profile, and that has five strengths. And maybe we can talk about that and you can give an example and also how, how other people that watch this video uh, can, can use this, uh, these, these views. So one of your strengths is that you are a maximizer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that you focus uh, on strengths as a way to stimulate personal and group excellence. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's exactly really what I've been saying up until now. Um, you know, uh, driving belief into people around what they're good at, mm -hmm. letting people believe what they're good at has a really motivational impact on people. Yep. And, uh, you know, for so, so many leaders will come and talk about what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. I like to focus with all of my leaders and all of my people around what they're really good at. Okay. And if I focus around that, I think I can get a positive energy. I can get, you know, 
I can get more output from people. That's not to say we still don't talk about things that we need a bit of improvement on. But yeah, Maximizer is about driving belief into people. If you've got belief, anything's possible. Okay. So now the second thing is okay. you have what is called the woo factor. Okay. What is that all about? So the woo factor is about really enjoying and embracing being able to try and change people's minds. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I love it. I love it. I love the ability to try and talk with clarity mm -hmm. around why people's perceptions may should maybe shift or mm -hmm. adjust or why that strategy maybe could be slightly different. Mm -hmm. Never trying to tell people they're wrong. Always trying to say to people there may be a slightly different way to achieve what you want to achieve. So I love the ability of the challenge of being able to get people to think differently. Mm -hmm. Third one is you're an achiever. And it says here you take immense satisf satisfaction from being busy and productive. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I think you'll always find that, um, you know, uh, when you're the master of your own diary, mm -hmm. um, you, know, you know, I always find that um, my diary is always full. Mm -hmm. And um, that's because I believe people believe they, or people want to engage with me. Mm -hmm. People want to have dialogue with me. People want to challenge me or get a perspective from me. Or people want to put me in front of their customer to challenge them or to ask for a perspective. Yep. You know, so for me, you know, I want to be spending my time with people. That's when you're at your most productive okay. as opposed to behind a spreadsheet. Um, you know, so that's a big part of who I am. Your fourth strength, mm. according to your personality. Yeah, wow, five, okay. but we're only at number four. <laughs> is that you're an activator, and that means that you want to do things now rather than simply talk about them. Well, my wife wouldn't say that when I'm at <laughs> home, let me tell you that, uh, when she asked me to do things. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I, I really believe that if you have belief in what it is you want to achieve, mm -hmm. why put off to tomorrow what you can do today? Um, and, uh, you know what? giving people the belief and the positivity that actually their idea is good. Go and challenge it. Go and try. Go and see if you can make that happen is what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. um, although, as I said earlier on, I'm not like that in the house. And uh, if my <laughs> wife watches this video, she'll definitely not say that's a strength. Okay, we'll, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Number five is uh, you're, you're strong in conversation, which is clear. But So you, you do a lot of presentations and, uh, and so on? Yeah, I love it. You know, I, I, my dad was a preacher when I grew up. So I mm. went every Sunday to church when I was young and uh, I listened to my dad uh, you know, at the pulpit, uh, talk every week to mm -hmm. with passion around a topic that he fundamentally believed in, mm -hmm. and um, you know that inspired me. Okay, that inspired me, and and it made me want to be something similar. Son of a preacher. Son of a preacher, man. Okay. <laughs> now we've we've highlighted five strengths. Okay. Let's let's talk about a little bit at the, the the flip side of things. Where are your Development points. Where are the things that you are not strong at? And of course, good leaders, they, uh, they surround themselves with people that are strong in these points. Where, where are the things that you need to uh, put extra attention on? Well, okay, so I, I think I can always be more courageous. Mm -hmm. In the corporate world, um, you know, it's very easy at times to find a middle ground, mm -hmm. you know, to negotiate to a middle ground. Uh, uh, and sometimes... I could walk away from environments or, or conversations or situations where I wish I had been more courageous. Mm -hmm. 
And over time, you start to recognise that you should have been more courageous. And I think that's a trait that definitely still sits inside of me. I'm always looking to drive the positive in the conversation as opposed to the negative. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you just need to be blunt and be able to challenge and be courageous. Yep. Uh, and, you know, yeah, there's definitely been times where I've walked away saying I could do a better job there. The other thing I think that um, is something I live by today is diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. um, I'm white male in my 50s. I'm predominantly surrounded by white males in my 50s in the technology and the IT sector. And that's really dangerous. It's really not good. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've learned over the years the importance of driving diversity of thought in any decision-making process. But that's not an easy thing, I can imagine. I mean, you're a very high-tech company, lots of engineers, very... It's a very male-dominant uh, mm -hmm. world. So how do you make, how do you build diversity in your own you teams? Force, you force it. Uh -huh. You force it. You have to force it. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to, you know, if there's two people equal applying for the same job and one's diverse, you give it to the person that's diverse. Mm -hmm. Because critical to any company's success is the diversity of thought that you bring to the table. Yep. Uh, and for me, in my formative years as a leader, I didn't recognize that. I didn't see it. Um, it's something I see very clearly and very vividly today. Okay. Let's dive a level deeper, okay. Gordon. We uh -oh. talked about your strengths and development points. Let's talk about the core values. You shared with us that you have three children. Yeah. 29, 20, 17. What are the values that you have brought them up with? What are the core values that you live by yourself that you have passed on to your children? You know, if you look at my upbringing, you know, um, you know, I had a fantastic upbringing, but when you look at me academically, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm certainly nowhere near the brightest person in the room. Mm -hmm. In many instances, academically, I'm the dumbest person <laughs> in the room. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, I, I, it created a mentality in me when I was young, which was about never giving up, mm -hmm. you know, and if you look at everybody, um, who has a mantra around never giving up. You know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, she was rejected as a news anchor uh, in her formative years in the industry. Michael Jordan was rejected at university from being a basketball player. You know, um, you know people like that are the people that inspire me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really the kind of message I try to drive out into my organisation, but into my family life as well. Mm -hmm. I think... The two things I would say to my kids is play to your strengths, do what you love, and never give up. Okay. If you reflect back on your personal life, your professional life, what is it that is maybe one of the best things that has ever happened to you in your life? Um, I would say, so I joined Cisco when I was 30. Mm -hmm. um, I very quickly rose up through the ranks in the organisation from being an individual contributor to a director in the organisation by the time I was 38. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt as if it was easy. I felt as if I had the world at my feet. And uh, between the age of 38 and 46, um, every year people told me I was great at my job. Gordon, you're great at your job. You're doing fantastic. And for eight years, I never got promoted once. <laughs> and... Um, I questioned that to the point where, 
you know, I nearly left Cisco. Mm-hmm. I had a job offer from one of our key competitors to go and run their business in EMEA. Um, and on the 21st of December, one year, I decided with my, my wife really decided that you shouldn't go to a key competitor when you'd invested so much in Cisco. And I reached out to a lady at Cisco called Cassandra Frangos, who was head of talent at the time in the organisation. And she said to me, you need to own your career. Cisco cares about your employment, cares about your well-being, cares about your safety. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you need to care about your career. And it wasn't until I was 46 that I purposefully started to think about my career. And when I mentor loads of younger people in the organisation now, the key thing I say to them is, you own your career development. Nobody else owns your career development, you do. Mm -hmm. And you build plans to win sales deals or you build plans to project manage whatever it is you do internally. You have to invest the same into yourself. You have to build a plan for you. You have to work out how you're going to develop your career in a company. And um, I didn't learn that until I was 46. And since then, it's helped me develop and accelerate my career. Now I'm 56, 10 years later, I've managed to be promoted multiple times in the organization, purely because somebody showed me that I needed to take care and ownership of my career. That was the biggest learning in corporate life I've ever had. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Now, we talk about mentorship, that you mentor people in in the organization. Were there other people in your career that have mentored you that, or people that you look up to that you have learned from that you could talk about? Um, so, um, so Cassandra Frangos was uh, somebody who had a significant impact on my life. But I've also worked for at Cisco so many phenomenal leaders. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to pull out any of them individually. And if I was to pull out one, I think the rest of them would all (laughs) complain about why I had not pulled out them. But look, every single leader that I've worked for in Cisco, I've learned a phenomenal amount from Mm -hmm. in terms of the way to operate uh, and the way to conduct myself, the way to think, um, the way to make decisions. Um, But ultimately, it's my dad. You know, that preacher that I saw as an early child that man that was with me till I was in my 50s is ultimately the person I look up to more than anybody else in terms mm-hmm. of turning me into hopefully, you know, something that he would be proud of. Yeah. So, Gordon, you built quite a career mm-hmm. in a big, big tech company, but we all have our downfalls. We all have our failures as well. We all make our mistakes and we need to learn from our mistakes. You talked about managing career, but is there another thing that you could share that you would consider a brilliant mistake that you made in your career? And and can you share what you learned from it? Um, I think, first of all, I would say I've made mistakes every week in terms of the way I operate. Uh, And the first thing you need to be is you need to be transparent and put your hand up if you believe you've made a fundamental error or Mm -hmm. a fundamental mistake. You should never try to hide it. You should never try to, you know, uh, push it away or try and shove it underneath the carpet. I think the first thing in terms of mistakes is own it, is own it, (laughs) is own it, right, is the first thing I've learned. Um, If you own it, people will respect you. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to make mistakes as long as you own it. If you don't own it, that's when you run into trouble. So I would say, you know, has there been one transformational moment where I've made Mm -hmm. a, a spectacular mistake that's made me change the way I am? 
Probably not. Mm -hmm. Maybe dropping out of university <laughs> to think I could become a professional golfer. Um, but I owned it. Yep. I owned it, right? And I, uh, and I adjusted. But I would say you're going to make loads of mistakes. Just own them. Mm -hmm. Own them. Okay. Let's, let's dive a, a level deeper, if, if you allow, Gordon. And, and let's talk a, bit, a little bit about life itself. What is it that you love most in life? And what is it that you fear most? Um, I love family. Mm -hmm. um, I love what I've built and created with my wife. Mm -hmm. um, I love see how they change every day. Uh, they mature every day uh, and they turn from being children into adolescents and into adults. And, mm -hmm. and uh, watching that probably gives me, although I probably don't say it to them enough, probably gives me more uh, pleasure than anything else. Um, I fear like most people, you know, not being here. Mm -hmm. um, my wife and I have gone through some challenging times over the last year or so where both of us potentially might not have been here. And it makes you realize the importance of the moment mm -hmm. and to live in the moment. And, uh, you know, uh, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, right. And um, I think, you know, recognizing how important every day is more than anything else is what's important to me. Gordon, do you have a personal mantra, a saying that helps you in difficult times uh, to make a decision or to, to go and do the extra mile? I don't really. There isn't anything I think my team would say that Gordon says, mm -hmm. you know, is the click, is the thing that really matters. Um, but I do think what they would say is, we'll find a way. Mm -hmm. We'll find a way. Um, my mantra is to never give up. Um, my thought process is to always find a way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure my team would turn around to you and say, Gordon says we'll always find a way. But I, th I hope deep down, if they were to think about as they engage with me, mm -hmm. they would say, do you know what? We'll always find a way. And so I would say to you, that would be, we'll find a way. Super. So Gordon, we're coming to the end of this interview. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and so our interview, uh, interviews are watched by um, many, many different kinds of people, but also young professionals that are very ambitious and that want to build a big career in a, uh, in a high-tech company. What is the advice that you as a VP of Cisco would give to these uh, uh, ambitious professionals? Okay, so I'll, I'll say a number of things around owning your career, mm -hmm. okay? For me, the first element of owning your career is validating what you're good at. Mm -hmm. I don't care what I think I'm good at, it's what others think I'm good at. So the first thing they need to do is validate what others believe they're good at. They'll have three or four key competencies that people see in them every day. Mm -hmm. Play to your strengths, number one. Second thing I would say to them is build your career around those strengths. Those are the things that will help you shine. Those are the things that will allow you to stand out from the crowd. And there will be roles and functions in your organization that fundamentally play to those strengths. Understand those roles and functions in the organization. Third, get to know the leaders who lead those organizations. Your stakeholder network is critical to your ability to build your career. Mm -hmm. Focus on people who operate 
in the areas of the business that you know your strengths will align to. Don't spend time, too much time, in parts of the organisation where you know, maybe your strengths aren't as aligned to as possible. And the final thing I'll say is find a way to influence them. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the hardest part. <laughs> Get to know them, okay? Start to influence them as something completely different. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a whole different ball. We could spend 90 minutes talking about the ability to influence people. Um, but there are some great tools and techniques out there around things like subliminal influence, how you can influence people subliminally without them even knowing uh, that I use every day in terms of my ability to influence people to build a broader stakeholder network. Know your strengths, understand the parts of the organisation where those strengths align, know the leaders in those businesses, start to influence them. Those are the that's, that's ultimately what I think a career plan is. Mm-hmm. Career plan isn't, I'm going to do this job, then that job, then this job. A career plan is about building a network. That's how you build your career. Okay, super. And on that note, Gordon, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure doing this interview. Thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed it.